0: Good morning, welcome back to the program. Ever since the war on drugs became a political and cultural issue in America, we've seemed to be unclear as to how to deal with the very human reality of those afflicted by addiction. Too often just say no became a mantra not just about use, but about treatment. The fact is that addiction impacts one in four American families, and unfortunately we've yet to fully comprehend what addiction is about, and a kinder and gentler and more scientifically modern way to deal with it. My guest, Dr. Jeffrey Foote, stands at the forefront of that effort. Jeffrey Foote is the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Motivation and Change. He's been a leader in the science and humanity of change and addiction for over 25 years, and he's the co-author of a new book entitled Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change. Dr. Jeffrey Foote, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: It's good to have you here. How much of all of the politics and social issues that surround drugs and drug use, to what extent has that been a constant hindrance as we look for better and newer ways to treat addiction?
1: Well, I think you put it very well in that question, actually. It's been a constant hindrance. Um, the uh, problem, I think, has been one of, of, of not malice by any means at all, because my experience with uh, Addiction treatment folks over the years, and I've been doing this for 25 years now, um, is that it's this is a treatment community filled with really heartfelt, well-intentioned people. Um, uh, but the model in the in the U.S. at least, and it's actually quite different in other countries, uh, the model that that grew up here over the last 50 or 60 years um, has included some really um, not so helpful strains. Um, more punitive, uh, more moralistic, and those strains still, unfortunately, really do exist, um, in a lot of the treatment culture today. It's a little subtler, subtler than it used to be, um, but you see it in, in, in language use, um, uh, you certainly see it in the sense, uh, in the culture that, um, substance issues are shameful and families feel ashamed of them, um, and those, those threads that wind through treatment, um, really are sort of antithetical to the kind of things that are really helpful for people to change um, and encourage change and encourage increases in motivation. So that, that's why we wrote the book, essentially, Beyond Addiction. Um, it's it's a guide for families um, who live in a culture where a lot of the messaging and a lot of the input is pretty negative and is much more about confrontation or detachment. Um, and, and again, from an evidence-based standpoint, the problem with that those approaches, is they're just not so helpful.
0: And one of the problems seems to be that the addiction itself becomes the be-all and end-all of the conversation, that the larger issues that, that you touch on when you talk about change really get lost in the equation. We look for the, for the shorter-term solutions and focus on arguably the necessary things, but sometimes the wrong things.
1: Well, I think that's a great way to put it, actually, because the, the, you know, if you, again, if you look at um, what the evidence would tell us, and again, the evidence is, is, is research studies, uh, clinical experience, all over the last 30, 40 years when a lot of this has been happening. Um, one of the most powerful findings is <clears throat> that life change is critical to sustaining changes in substance use. And, I mean, you, you mentioned the just say no idea. Um, and, um, you know, while presumably it was a well-intentioned concept and, and media idea, um, if you dig into it at all, what you realize, and especially when, you, when you're actually dealing with folks trying to make these changes, is that it's kind of sawdust in your mouth. It kind of doesn't go anywhere or give you anything, um, because what we do know about motivation and change is that people change when they feel competent to make those changes, and they change when they feel like it's important enough, there's something else to go to. Um, so to swap out my use of substances for nothing, in other words, just say no, that's all you need to do is just say no, is, is a really untenable long-term strategy. Um, it, it, and so back to your question, if, if you're not enhancing other areas of your life, if there isn't a, a, some other set of enrichment going on, you're left with just a deprivation um, which, is, which is not how people change. Um, and, and it's sort of one of the most important things we know about motivation um, is that people need to have something that is going to be more appealing, um, uh, something that will compete with, with their current use, which, which by the way, is, um, gets to another incredibly important part of this whole thing, um, which we talk about with families a lot, which is your loved one is not using substances because he or she is crazy, typically, uh, I mean, they independently may be crazy, but that's not typically why they're using substances. Um, they're using them because they get something out of it. Um, and I've, you know, I've said to countless clients over the last twenty years, and you know, if 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 drinking or smoking crack or using heroin was like putting your hand on a hot stove, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. You you just wouldn't be doing it anymore. Um, and so clearly, there's something in it that that's helpful to you. Which could be anything could be anxiety reduction could be it makes me feel good, could be uh, it's the only way I can socialize with people after work could be it's the only way that I you know um don't feel so bad about myself as a dad because I always feel like I don't know what I'm doing I mean any uh, could be because I suffer from terrible depression um and this is the one way that I can actually feel any better at all those are not those are not crazy motivations. they have a destructive downside at some point, but they're not crazy, so it's just a very helpful way, I think to think about what else could happen and what else could happen in this person's life that would compete with those uh, rewards that they're getting.
0: Of course, the corollary of that that has grown up with it is this corresponding idea that that those that are addicted have to somehow hit bottom before they'll Mm -hmm. do anything about it.
1: Right. Right. And, and, you know, while that can be framed in, in clinical terms um, and sound like it's a good idea, um, it, it sort of goes back to your first question. There, there often can be a little bit of a moralistic or punitive aspect of that recommendation or that concept. Um, it's actually one of the things that's <clears throat> been part of the treatment field for a long time, which, uh, which I, which drives me a little crazy. The sense that um, someone's coming to me for help uh, and it's not going so well. It must be because they're not ready. Um, and, you know, my job as a psychologist is to help them get ready, not to pronounce them unready until, and, until such time as they've gotten ready, I'm not going to work with them. By the time they're ready, they don't need me anymore. Um, so I consider my job as a mental health person um, to be helping them find their way to in- increases in motivation um, and again, if we go back to, to the book, to the Beyond Addiction book we just wrote, that's a guide for families to help in those same ways. How do you stay out of those really motivation-crushing interactions for everybody, those ones that just induce a sense of helplessness and despair in everybody, um, and how do you shift that to one where there's actually going to be an increase in motivation and things are actually feeling more positive, which is something that, that both both parties, (laughs) the person struggling with the substances and the family respond to in a very positive way.
0: One of the problems in talking about this and in trying to to bring people to this more modern approach is that the failure rate is so high, the success so low. And Mm -hmm. while in traditional medicine, and we might accept that with something like a certain kind of cancer, when it comes to addiction and mental health, we have a different attitude
1: yeah yeah um and I think that's a, a multi part um problem uh multifaceted problem but um you know it's it's an interesting thing when you look through the literature about controlled studies and when you do really well um conducted uh treatment and um people are trained and they're supervised and they know what they're doing and they're getting support as treatment providers along the way treatment outcomes are actually pretty good um <clears throat> there's kind of a sense that that this is a you know, a a hopeless um, illness that people struggle with and everybody relapses and so forth. When you're actually working with with effective treatments and you're giving effective support to the providers and you're doing things like we're trying to do in terms of reaching out to families, um, which is to educate the families and include them in the process, success rates are quite a bit higher, Um, and um, which leaves everyone more hopeful um, and it doesn't end up feeling like this is just you know shoveling you know sand into the ocean and it's not going to stop anything because um, because the data doesn't actually show that the data actually shows that you can be really quite successful um, if you are using the right approaches if you tailor it to the person and if you work with their families and and there's just a lot to the what I'm describing as the right approaches there's a lot of stuff out there that doesn't get used people don't even know about um, and at the basis of this book the core of it is really this um, a treatment approach for families called craft, which was developed by a guy named Bob Myers. He's a psychologist out at the University of New Mexico. They've done a number of studies by him and a number of people around the country on this. It's a way of working with families. And again, that's that's the core of the book. Um, and <clears throat> that's an approach that's evidence-based, meaning it's been shown to be effective compared to other approaches, compared to interventions or compared to Al-Anon. Um, and I could walk, and I have, walked into a room of, of addiction treatment professionals and said, anybody know what craft is, and not a single hand will go up. Um, uh, so that, that type of thing is part of that picture that you're talking about of like, well, but, but what if nothing is really working? Um, there's a lot that works, um, but there's just also a lot that actually has not permeated the treatment culture or the general culture. Um, and, you know, craft would be one of them. There's lots of other pockets uh, that, of, of really good treatment that don't make their way into the culture very well yet either.
0: Talk a little bit about what this particular treatment is about. How does it work?
1: Right. So craft uh, is, again, specifically for the family. Um, uh, Dr. Myers designed it initially um, in its classical format. Now it would be um, for families of someone who is saying, I don't want help. So you know, a call that any addiction treatment professional has gotten is, you know, um, my husband is drinking. Um, you know, the family is going to hell in a handbasket. Um, I don't know what to do, and he's telling me to leave him alone. I'm just making a mountain out of a molehill. Um, what should I do? And and the the traditional answers, unfortunately, the traditional answers to date have been, um, uh, go to Al-Anon, um, which by the way is incredibly helpful for some group of people um, or do an intervention um, which is you know the sort of the cultural view of how you deal with addiction in a family, which is lots of drama, lots of door slamming and tears and cursing and you know finally the person gets packed off and goes to rehab. that's such an incredibly limited version of what you can do to help someone um, and craft um, uh, the the huge difference with craft and those other approaches is, Kraft says and Kraft has demonstrated over and over again to be an approach that says you need to take care of yourself, which is what Al-Anon tells you and is very powerful and very helpful for those people who go to Al-Anon. And you can stay connected and you can help. You can be an active participant in this change process. So that's the opposite of what Al-Anon says, which is a detach with love. So stay loving, take care of yourself, but you can't help them. They have to hit bottom on their own craft has been shown over and over again, uh, that you can take care of yourself and which is very important. It's sort of the, you know, oxygen mask in the plane. You gotta, you gotta have oxygen for yourself first before you can help anyone else. Um, but there are a number of things that you can do that will be very effective in helping your loved one decide to, to make changes also. And you can do that. Um, that's, classically in this country fallen under the heading uh, and the or the accusation, I should say, of enabling or codependency. So families often come to us feeling guilty and ashamed and any involvement they have with their loved one, they feel they carry around these labels um, that they've been handed um, like they're codependent or they're enablers. And they're almost like curse words at this point in the culture. Um, and, you know, families want to help and families love their loved one. And uh what we also know is that families are are the in fact the leading motivators for people to decide to change. So if we can harness that huge power, I mean I see someone 2 hours a week that out of the 168 hours of their life every week, their family sees them constantly. So if we can if we can work with that family, give them some tools to effectively work with their loved one, they have a huge impact. Um and, you know, the tools are not rocket science. They're, they need, they take practice, they take patience, they take getting your head around them, they take sort of swimming against what you hear about in the culture, but they're very effective and they're very simple, straightforward things like learn to communicate in a different way. And there's a variety of steps to do that so that you're creating a positive atmosphere in your household instead of constant arguments and shutting down and people going to their rooms. Um, Learn how to reinforce positive changes instead of just being so mad all the time that you don't notice the good things when they happen. Um, learn to let them learn from their own negative consequences. So if they're doing things, <clears throat> they miss their son's soccer game at, you know, 10 in the morning on Saturday because they're hungover, let that happen. Don't wake them up, get them out of bed, rush them off to the game to make sure that your son is not disappointed. Let that natural consequence occur. Um, uh, understand that they have their reasons for doing this, and it 's not personal that 's the part about you know they 're not crazy for doing this they're they 're doing it for some reason and it 's not usually about you um, and take care of yourself so all of those matter um, but all of those allow you to stay connected, um, learning how to reinforce positive actions, learning how to communicate in a in a more positive way um, those are really very profound um, actions that you can take in your own family that have been demonstrated over and over again to have a huge impact. Um, And the numbers, especially in the mental health world and and research world, the numbers are ridiculous. When when you use these strategies, um, the numbers of people who then decide to get engaged in treatment are are in the 70% range. Um, And if you compare that to other strategies like interventions, Uh, it's no comparison. Um, Things like interventions, and despite what any interventions will tell you, things like interventions, when you actually put it on a level playing field and compare apples to apples, um, you have a 25 to 30% success rate with interventions. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, those are not odds that I like. Um, You sort of shot your one bullet, you tried to force the issue, and you lost them. Um, And That's not what Kraft does. Kraft is is collaborative and inviting in um, and really geared for the long haul. The point is not, can I get you to go to rehab? The point is, can we start to create a whole different atmosphere and way of being in this family that's going to support long-term change? And supporting long-term change is the thing that matters. It's not, can I get you to talk to the doctor one time? It's not, can I get you on the damn plane to go to rehab? That's not the point, because I can. I can get you on the plane. And then you're going to come back mad and resentful and go back to drinking. Um, so these are strategies that really help change the whole way that a family operates, um, which then sustains change.
0: One aspect of it, though, is that it takes more time. It takes a longer view in a culture that's always looking for the instant solution and the, the proverbial magic bullet.
1: Yep, yep, Um and um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll just say also that I certainly have gotten the call many, many times, um, and had to to think this through with people, where it's a it's a true life-threatening emergency. You know, um, my daughter has been behaving in such a way that um, and she has a history of overdosing. Um, she's starting to get engaged in horrendously dangerous behaviors. Um, uh, she fell down the stairs last week because she was so intoxicated. Um, <clears throat> You know, there can be certainly there are situations that start to become. If she has a medical illness, or if she has a psychiatric illness, whatever the things are that are that are going along with this, that make the danger level much higher, and that's an assessment that we always have to do. Um, so, so for instance, there will be times when I would certainly say, you know what, I would I would talk to a friendly interventionist and let's get this on the road immediately because the danger level is way too high. The percentage of time when that's actually the case is pretty low. Um, and un- unfortunately for families, I mean, it's just a horrible thing to be going through. You know, you don't, you don't go to school for this stuff to learn how to, to work with a substance abusing loved one. Um, so it often feels like it's an emergency all the time. Um, it usually isn't. Um, and, but to the extent that it is in any given moment, then you do have to think: What are what other strategies do we have available to us? Because you, because you're right, craft takes some time. It t- you know, talking about weeks and months of working on changing the nature of things. Um, but it, it's funny, actually, in in when you do studies and controlled studies on this particular method, um, you know, in in this in a research study, they do 12 sessions of training with a family. But but what they have found is that on average, about five sessions in, um, the loved one decides to get treatment. Um, so in terms of the real world, it doesn't actually take a lot of time. It doesn't take, it's not overnight, but you're talking, you know, three, four, five weeks until some impact is actually um, uh, substantial. Um, so, yes, it's a, so those are two different models, though.
0: One of the things that, that we find with so many of these cases of addiction is the way in which it is tied to some kind of underlying mental illness or mental health condition and mm-hmm. And part of our failure it seems in addressing this is also the broader framework in which we failed to address so many mental health problems
1: mhm mm-hmm. yeah yeah and 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 that may be in part go back to your your initial question about you know the role of this in the culture. Um, I certainly think of that in terms of stigma um, and um we're pretty good about just address, addressing Physical illnesses um, and and mental illnesses certainly take a back burner, um, and I think within that world, um, uh, addictive issues take a back burner to those even. Um, so the, you know, our our social support network for and our and our our treatment network for working with these issues um, has a lot of holes in it. Um, uh, of, of of many sources for those holes, you know, funding. Um, uh, views within the culture, and then even what I was saying before—you know—again, the part of our part of our agenda, even in writing this book, Beyond Addiction, is to have families hear about some evidence-based approaches, um, and that's another hole in the system: is is incorporating, bringing evidence-based treatments into the addiction treatment world. I, I used to say to my co-founder at Center for Motivation and Change in New York, you know, before we started this, if I if I had to refer my brother or my father for treatment for um, um, some sort of substance use issue, I would be embarrassed. And, you know, I'm like uh, uh, been in the field forever as a researcher, as a clinician running programs and, and I wouldn't know where to send them. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're hoping people can read this book. Um, there's an, another book I uh, came out by uh, a woman named Ann Fletcher called Inside Rehab recently, Um, which gives a really nice description of sort of the whole rehab treatment world. Um, And it's a a little ironic for me because I'm sitting at our new rehab, which we just opened two weeks ago in the Berkshires. Um, But, you know, we opened a rehab because we wanted to bring evidence-based treatment to a rehab level of care also. Um, And it's it's really few and far between um, to find evidence-based treatment within the addiction treatment world, Um, whether it's outpatient or inpatient, or whether it's even a book. Um, a lot of the advice, a lot of the understanding of these issues, um, is, is, as you have said, is not really um, science-based and it's not really up to date.
0: It's impossible to talk about all of this, particularly in the context of health care today, whether it's mental health or anything else, without talking about the cost and those with the opportunity to avail themselves of these kind of treatments and those that, that might not have the ability. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, I mean, some, some of the recent parity laws that have come in, I think, have been actually very helpful, especially in the addiction treatment world, um, because it's it, it laws that are sort of mandating that um, uh, substance use disorders are treated and included in insurance plans and are treated the same as other illnesses. Um, so that has opened up a lot more access, because then people's insurance companies can't say we're not covering that. Um, so that's, that's been a very helpful thing. Um, and and um, so that's one big positive, I think. Um, uh, another, another interesting phenomenon, I think, is that um, w- while the, the flood of people who need this kind of help is, is tremendous, um, at least within the VA system um, and the um, um, publicly funded healthcare care system, um, there's a lot of work within government systems to do ongoing training in evidence-based treatments. Um, somehow the, the, um, the federal government got the bug to, to bring in evidence-based treatments. State by state, it's starting to happen some, so that you know, uh, insurance panels or state regulatory panels are starting to convene over the last five, ten years and say, look, we want to, we want to uh, only certify uh, programs that are doing evidence-based treatment, or we're going to only pay for treatments that are evidence-based if I'm an insurance company. Um, I, that's been a real hit or miss kind of process. Um, and unfortunately, I think in some states, it's sort of more like voting, you know, get a bunch of people together and let's all vote on what we think and what's our favorite treatment, which is not exactly the best way to go about doing it. But in lots of other states, it's been really scientifically based and they've called in lots of experts to, to sort of testify and think about what, what do we know um, from research? What do we know from clinicians? What do we think is actually going to be most helpful? And then try to establish those standards within a given state um, um, but as I said, some of the best work that's being done right now is being done in the VA system. Um, I, I, I feel bad for those guys because they, they, they can't possibly keep up with the amount of work that needs to be done. But the work they're trying to do is actually quite sophisticated and quite helpful. They, they do incredibly advanced um, and evidence-based trauma treatment work. Um, they do something called prolonged exposure, which is the leading evidence-based approach for PTSD A lot of people coming back from war situations have PTSD, and it's a terrible, terrible burden for them. Um, And in that community, in the VA community, there's actually treatment for that, um, which you would be hard-pressed to find in the private sector. So it's it's an odd um, uh, patchwork um, of treatments and evidence-based things that you find, and um, by socioeconomic status, who's getting what kind of treatments... It's it's a really a patchwork um, and kind of a complicated thing.
0: Does technology play any role in helping us deal with these issues? We look to so many things in society today for we, trying to find a technological solution. Does that have any role here? Uh,
1: let's see. It has a role in that I couldn't log into my computer for two hours today, and I was driving myself crazy. So it has that <laughs> kind of role. Um, um, I don't think that's what you mean, though. Um, <laughs> it has the role. There are lots of advances now um, uh, in in doing things like using text messaging. Um, a colleague of ours named Fred Munch back here in New York has done a lot of research on text messaging, um, which is in, in substance use disorder issues can be incredibly helpful to have sort of a series of daily reminders um, and daily check-ins, which don't have to be a person-to-person kind of thing, um, um, you're you know in in changing substance use patterns one of the things you're doing is is changing habits and really trying to um, uh, establish different courses both behaviorally in your life and in your brain um, and and so technology I think can play a, a a very interesting role in in being a reminder system for instance um, you also have you also have access I mean so we have you know we're we're We've written this book. We've also written several guides for parents and for partners. So we have on our website, um, which is motivationandchange.com, we have the 20-minute guides. um, And there's a 20-minute guide for parents. um, And it's like a 60-, 70-page workbook, basically, which you can just download um, and has tons of information about, based on craft um, on on, uh, how to work with your child. Um, and you don't have to be a mental health professional and you don't have to go to therapy and you can download it and use it as a guide for yourself. Um, so that kind of access, I think, um, is, is really helpful for people, um, especially people who are, you know, in the middle of nowhere or nowhere near any sort of mental health facilities um, and have no access. Um, so, again, part of our push here in, in the book and in these guides is give, give people some access to some good material that they can really use. Um, so, you know, and, and, and there are lots of different arenas in which in which technology is playing a bigger role. There's um, uh, in prolonged exposure work with trauma. There's now um, use of uh, sort of uh, virtual reality machines where people can sort of re-experience some of the traumatic events in a very real way, and, and that's a very effective strategy for for um, treating PTSD. Um, so that that would be another example of technology and its role in mental health.
0: Dr. Jeffrey Foote, the book is Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change. Jeffrey, I thank you so much for spending time with us today.
1: It was really a pleasure. Really great to talk to you.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right
1: back.